0: Last time we were together, we started uh, a sermon called Better Together, and this is a, a series that I had the opportunity to preach at a Bible conference during their Bible hour on grace getting into our hearts, and the more we get God's grace in our hearts, it allows us then to be able to infuse that, inject it, and live it out in every area of our lives beginning first In our homes, because that is God's plan, that is His design for us. For it begins here, we work through our homes, and then from there we reach out. And so, as we work out how God gets into our hearts and Jesus Christ, the living Word, becomes alive in us, we first looked at the importance. We begin with the importance of the marriage relationship. For from that comes the other members of the home, meaning children, as the Lord may bless and as the Lord often does bless for many. And so we begin with the importance of the marriage relationship. And we really looked at the idea that marriage, the idea of a man and a woman created in the image of God are put together in a relationship, because by God's design, he says we are better together. Together, as a husband and as a wife, we gain a full, complete, bigger picture of who God is, that full, complementary view of the image of God, uniquely through the man as the husband, uniquely through the woman as the wife, together in harmony, gloriously pointing Towards Jesus Christ. We looked at the goal because we said we have to have a goal. If I don't have a finish line then I'm moving forward, I'm going to be every which way. And I'm never going to hit the goal. I'm never going to hit the mark of what God has designed for this uh, basic relationship in our lives. And we see clearly from the book of Genesis that goal for marriage is oneness it's unity. God said that a man will leave his, uh, a man and a woman will leave their father and their mother, mother, and they come together as one, and they live in union. Later on, Christ in His earthly ministry affirmed what God has joined together, let not man tear it apart. The unity, the coming together, uh, union is the goal of marriage, and I like to say more than union, oneness. All right, together we're a husband and wife because we can all live with somebody or we can live with somebody, right? We can be partners, we can be uh, cohabitants together or we can truly be partners and we can live in communion with one another as God's plan. And so this is the God's goal of marriage. And so we move from that today and we pick up on that and we continue the series and the thought and regarding marriage and we're going to look at God's responsibilities. We know what God wants from this relationship. If you are in this relationship, in a marriage relationship, these are God's plans. This is the pathway that he sets out for us. And along with that, there are great, uh, great freedoms and great joys that come along with God. He created us for this sort of relationship. But as we understand uh, just the principles of grace and how God works, wherever there's freedom, attached to that freedom is also what comes along with freedom responsibility. Wherever there's great freedom, responsibilities come along. And God gives us wonderful freedom to enjoy married life together as one between a husband and a wife. But he gives us responsibilities, things that will propel us forward towards the finish line, towards hitting the mark of God's joyful plan uh, for marriage. So we'll be looking at the couples' responsibilities together, and then we'll start looking a little bit at the individual responsibilities and roles, really more the roles this morning, and then eventually we'll, we'll talk about the responsibilities of the individual. What we want to talk about first is the couples' responsibility together. And as I'm, I'm thinking about some of these ideas, you know, I've titled the, the, the sermon our, um, this morning Better Together. And sometimes it's kind of fun to think, well, what's the opposite of all of that? What's the opposite of better? Well, we even say it in marriage vows, right? When the, the pastor's up there uh, uh, giving, officiating a, a ceremony, we, in the vows, oftentimes, traditional vows typically say, for better or for worse, all right? There's the opposite of better, there's, there's worse. And together, what's the opposite of together together? apart. And there's the idea by God's design, we're better together and we're worse apart. Now, I say that with all sensitivity because our circumstances, we live in a fallen world. We, we live in a world that does not match God's plan as set out for us. We live in a world where hurt, where pain, there's so much uh, devastation that has occurred because of, of sin. And we also recognize that not every single person in this world is going to enter into a marriage relationship. Paul talks about this in First Corinthians, where he talks there are going to be people who are given, who are not given to marriage, where they are in, in singleness, and there is a special grace of God to support and equip that when that is present there. And alongside that, we know that there are times where that marriage relationship goes away because one of the individuals has gone on to be with the Lord, and that is a, a widow relationship. And so uh, as, as, a, as a body, we see the, the wide arc of, uh, there's, it, it could look different in lots of different ways. There are areas of singleness, there are areas uh, where one may be a widow in all of that. But we're painting the broad with a broad paintbrush because God, generally speaking, says his plan and his purpose is that most would come together into a marriage relationship. And so understand I'm talking, I speak with sensitivity, I speak with care, uh, but we speak to those who are entered into this relationship. And God designed us for that. And I wanted to lean into a little bit with what we saw in the book of Ecclesiastes there, Uh, If you have that open still, turn in your Bibles there. we got about two to three passages of Scripture that we're really looking at this morning together. But as we are there in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, I'm just going to offer brief commentary at how God puts this together, that we really indeed are better together. And if we can establish that idea uh, and we see just the beauty, and the benefit of God's design for this, uh, then we're that much more encouraged to follow in faithfulness and actually follow his, uh, uh, his prescription for how we walk in that togetherness. We began in verse 7. You know, what's the refrain we hear throughout the book of Ecclesiastes? Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Uh, uh, the, the writer, the preacher here, is just searching. What's the meaning of life? What is going on? And, and we can search under the sun. And he did search under the sun. Will I find true joy? Will I true, find true happiness in riches, in money, in work? Well, how about pleasure? Where am I going to find all of this? Well, in that search, in the, in, in, uh, the preacher, uh, he had the means to be able to try to find happiness, try to find fulfillment in anything. Uh, you know, Solomon was, was uh, potentially the, most, the richest man perhaps to ever live, but certainly in the time frame, in the biblical frame of that, he was the richest man alive at that time. He had the means to figure out what can make me happy but he considered all different walks of life. And these are questions, these are echoed in the hearts of everybody. We have young people here. These questions are echoed and must be answered in all of our hearts. And he begins and he he points out there that for some there is one alone without companion, neither son nor brother, who's living in complete isolation. And that's That's the component. That's the point that we want to bring out here when God says we are better together. It's the fact that, remember, God created us in his image so that we would enter freely into a relationship with God himself, and we would walk in fellowship and communion with him. God lives in fellowship within himself, correct? As the Father, the Son... And the Holy Spirit. There is unity and fellowship among the Godhead itself. And to share that with mankind, God created mankind in His image with an inward bent within our heart that we might seek after Him to live in fellowship with Him. Now, we, mankind, has fallen time and time again and and steers away from that, but that is how we are created. Uh, Many have referred to that as kind of that God-shaped vacuum, that there's this longing within the heart, longing deep within the soul for fulfillment, and nothing we do, just as in the book of Ecclesiastes, nothing can fix it, nothing can fill it, save for the one who created that hole himself, because he created that hole, he created that vacuum for himself to fill it. And so it is under that guise or or, or along that line of thinking that being created for fellowship with him, we were not created to be merely alone in an isolation, separated apart from others. For even when we live in singleness... God has given us other relationships so that we do not live in isolation. That's why God says, do not forsake the gathering of yourself. God's given us the body of Christ. We have these relationships so that we do not live in isolation. And when we start to take this a little bit forward and go a little bit deeper and we reach into the home, we see that that is why part of the reason why God has created the marriage relationship so that one might not be alone. I want to draw a little bit of attention there. Uh, look at verse uh, the, the second half of verse 8 of this individual who has never been brought into a, the deep fellowship and union and companionship, um, something that happens. In, and this really is the picture of a person who, does, who is not setting their heart after the things of God, And look at what it says. This individual never asks, for whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? This also is vanity and a grave misfortune. I think I am pocket dialing probably 911. We'll stop that now. (laughs) This individual, apart from God, and we see this oftentimes, what's the picture that we kind of see in the media about a young man a young man's going to go out, he's going he's to he's go out, he's going to get a, a good degree, or he's just going to go out and get a good job, and he's going to get that good job, and he's going to make all sorts of money. And, and I, I could point to numerous articles and studies that have been put out there. Men, more and more and more, are waiting longer and longer and longer to get married, if they ever even Uh, submit themselves to that sort of relationship. And so you've got 30-year-olds, you've got 40-year-olds who are still living the blissful, and I don't even know what what blissful is not the right word, but I I will say uh, um, in the unawareness of what it is like to be yoked to another individual, and have to care for someone else's needs to the same extent that you care for your own needs. And God's design would be to care for someone else's needs above your own needs, not just in the same way of yours, but actually above superseding how you would take care of yourself. And that's what, what's kind of being drawn out here in this, this verse. For whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? Whenever we avoid and we run away willfully from God's plan to come together in a union, uh, we're running away from the fact that God puts us in a marriage relationship. Likewise, God places us in a family relationship so that we can be with other difficult people, so that we can be with other people where we're forced to step outside of all of this and we can start looking at the other individual to serve them, to meet their needs. Why? So that we connected to God himself, we can point them to God himself. That is why God has given us these deeply personal, highly awkward, at times, very difficult relationships of the family, starting with marriage, because it brings us beyond ourselves. It helps get rid of that selfishness that's there. And you can see this kind of sometimes in the, in the you know, maybe the, the, the 40-year-old gamer that lives in his parents' basement still and does nothing for anyone else but serves they themselves and them. I don't know, that was the wrong, wrong way to describe that. <laughs> they just serve themselves in all of that. God seeks to bring us beyond that. Well, then he answers that directly, verse 9, two are better than one. Now, indeed, this is looking, both there is a lens that we look at this and we see this in terms of friendship and that God has not given us to just live again in isolation. That's why we have the body of Christ. That's why you all are so important to us and to us as a church family and to me. He's given us this. And he says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. And I love to look at this verse in light of, in the lens of Scripture. God brings us together, if we look at the original marriage between Adam and Eve, mankind was given the duty and the role to work upon this earth. God created humankind to Work and to subdue and to take, uh, to take dominion of the land. And God uh, gave Adam, and Adam was, was meant to work. And as, as he went through creation, Adam started to say, Something's missing. And why did God bring Eve along? He brought Eve along to be a helper. He said, I will make you a helper comparable to you, I will bring a helpmeet acceptable for you so that you can work together you achieve more remember that whole idea of better together all right that that's what's happening two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor there's just functionality in that right you know i remember getting married and thinking uh and i was really young when we got married um it's it's hard to imagine me looking any younger than i actually look right now right 18 years this January. <laughs> so I was two when we got married. No. <laughs> I remember unwisely thinking, you know, I've got my income and I'm working really hard and I'm, 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 making needs, I'm making ends meet. Not well, but I'm making ends meet. And she's doing the same thing. Man, when we come together and I keep that much money and she brings that much money and we put that together... We're going we're gonna to run to the bank. Is that what happens? No. I actually think we were more poor once we got married. And it's, it's just interesting how, how God uh, <coughs> kind of does that. And that's not necessarily what the passage is talking about here. Pardon me. <clears throat> the reward comes in the working, in the laboring alongside one another. And really, beyond the physical things, there is a practicality to it that we do accomplish more, my wife and I. Together, we get more done. But we get more done for the Lord together when we follow his plans for us through all of that. Again, we go down here. Verse 11, again, if two lie down together, they're going to keep warm. How can one be warm alone? See, that's God's provisions for heating, right? That's how it keeps you warm at night. That's why you get married to lower the heating bill. <laughs> no, but there is joy. There's there's again just practical, pragmatic. Ah, oh, that's that's good. You can you can warm up. There's we need other people, and nothing will teach you how much you need others, and you need. The, Nothing will teach you more how much you need the Lord than getting married. <laughs> and uh, it'll evidence and it'll point out uh, a lot of opportunities for growth and change in your own life. But look at this. Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. I love looking at marriage through this lens because you know what? A man and a woman come together as one, but a man and a woman are not living in isolation alone together, at least according to God's design, because when under God, a man and a woman come together, we are united under God himself. God supplies the threefold cord of a marriage. You have God and through all that we've been given through Jesus Christ. And when he is there, we create this triangular relationship of God, husband, wife. And as I pursue Christ-likeness and I pursue my heavenly father, I am able to reach over and I am able to love and build in and pour into my wife. And do you know what that does for my wife? That helps draw her closer. That helps point her closer to get to the Lord. But I'm me, and you've certainly met me. And you know that there's times where I might not be going this way, and so I'm not pulling her over. But my wife is over here, and she's advancing in her walk with the Lord, and she's pursuing the Lord, and God is working in her heart. What is she able to do as she gets and draws closer to the Lord? She reaches over to me and draws me to her, but it draws me to him. It's this inner working of a triangle going back and forth, and the Lord strengthens the marriage relationship. If it were just us on our own, as Paul said, speaking of the resurrection, we'd be of men most miserable. We can't do it in and of ourselves. We cannot fulfill God's plans for the marriage relationship apart from his empowerment and apart from him himself. And so looking at that, I, I've gotten a little ahead of myself because some of these things will come out. But now let's, let's uh, look back to the book of Genesis. We'll move on. Having set that stage for us, uh, uh, underscoring the importance of unity and why we are better together, we turn to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And here we're going to look at God's responsibilities for us. All right, it's better. I buy into it. I'm fine with it. God said it. Let's go for it. All right, we are better. How do we make this better? Well, God has given us responsibilities as a couple. And the uh, first responsibility that the couple is responsible for is number one, leaving parental Authority. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. <clears throat> we'll begin in verse 23 because uh, this is where God created that helper comparable, that help meet for Adam. And Adam is Adam is just wooing her big time as he responds to her, and he receives God's gift of the woman that he's placed uh, in the garden with him. And Adam responds. He says. And this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of me. Those were probably the first words that Eve ever heard. And they were all centered on Adam doting upon her and him receiving the gift that God had blessed him with. And built into this, God places instruction for them. God says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The first instruction here is that a man shall leave his father and mother. Biblically defined, leaving, as it states here, means to loosen, it means to depart. It means to go away from and even at times abandon. Now, this is not in the way that we would traditionally think of or even use these words. When we think of the idea of forsaking, you know, if we forsake something, we're kind of turning our back to it, right? And we're, we're moving on. We're leaving it in the dark, but that is not the biblical picture of leaving. We have an intact relationship of a father and a mother that is brought out in verse 24. And then you have uh, the children. You have the son, and then you have the daughter of another. And from the very beginning that they are encouraged to leave, that is to separate from, to come apart, to loosen they are no longer part of this household. They are part of something new that God is doing. Oftentimes, and, and we see this really prevalent in just uh, pop culture, we, you, you hear and you see, you watch uh, weddings on televisions, or maybe you've, you've even been there, maybe this was part of yours. But a lot of times you talk about, um, you know, oh, we, we become... You know, not two new families are created, but now we are one big happy family, right? Whenever you have a new wedding, oh, we're all just one big happy family now. Well, in a sense, yes, because those family relationships are still intact. We still have a father and a mother But now we have a new relationship, a new family unit that is established according to God and the principle of Genesis uh, 2.24 here, a new unit coming into place, and then you have the the wife's uh, parent structure as well. It's while you're all still connected together, the husband and wife loosen themselves from that. They loosen, they separate, there's space in between. Why? Because they are a new family unit. The goal of leaving is to establish independence from the parents and as a separate household and entity and all of that. Now, this is always to be done in an honoring manner, We look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. I'll read it here for you. It says, Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment, with promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Kids here this morning, how many of you have ever had to quote this passage of Scripture to your parents before? Guess what? This passage of Scripture still applies to your mom and dad if their parents are still alive. The injunction to honor your father and your mother never leaves us. Now, what it does look, it looks different as we age. When we're under the direction and the authority of our mother and father, obedience is of a, is a, is a prime importance in that. But when we enter into a marriage relationship, there is a loosening, a separating. Obedience isn't there, but an honoring, a reverence, according to God's design and plan, is still there. You, if you're a husband, you become the head of your home. And if you're a wife, you become joined to your husband in that, and you create a new, separate family. I tell you, when I first got married, that was one of the hardest Things for me to get used to is somebody is hearing somebody say the lens. It still kind of takes me by surprise when I ever I hear somebody talk about the lens. Partially for me because I come from such a broken home that there were no intact relationships, husband and wife relationships. So nobody got referred to by their last name because everything was so fractured. I I mean there were no retained couples. And all of that. And so that was just foreign to me to learn. But how exciting it is to learn of God's plans and to see how it works. And it works because he designed it. And if he says this is what he he wants, he's going to enable it. He's always going to provide a way for obedience to his instruction. And so uh, the... uh, uh, this is always done as a husband and wife leave their collective parents. It's done in an honoring way. But it's, it's done with an awareness of dependence, or rather sometimes even over-dependence upon the parents. And this is where it's so important that as a husband and a wife come together in unity, we bring back that idea of the triangle right? So we have the husband here, we have the wife here, and who's at the center of that target? Who's, who's, the, who's the third member of that triangle? God. God is the third member of that triangle. And before you ever come into a paired relationship where you and a woman come together as one with the Lord, before this comes together, you know what you are? You're here. All right, you're an individual. This is actually gone. It's you and Christ. It's you and your walk with God. It's her and her walk with God. And the more we pursue this aspect of our lives, the more we pursue intimacy with God, the more we walk in fellowship and holiness and walk in rightness, as he's called us to, The greater that is that we take that and when God brings us together, our needs were already being met by God. And so now I can come into a relationship where I can now engage and honor and work with another person because my needs are being met here, I can now give over here to her. And because her needs are being met by God. She has to give to me. And we mutually feed off of each other. And it's this beautiful triangle that more and more and more, all angles, all points of that triangle, of that fellowship, that three-cord union, draw together an even more closeness. Remember, the goal of marriage is oneness, right? It's, it's union, and that union draws closer uh, more and more through there. But as a husband leaves his father, and as a daughter leaves her father and her mother, and they, they come together, it's really with what's going on with our dependencies. Uh, by that point, when we come together, our dependencies should first and foremost be upon God himself. But particularly in those areas, or in those times, we all come to Christ at different places of our life. Maybe we were married and, uh, and knew not the Lord. And so you entered into a marriage, and you didn't know A from B. And now you know the Lord, and now now I'm stuck in this place. We have to get our dependencies, first and foremost, to the Lord. And then when we do know the Lord, we can recognize God's injunctions here for us. You know what? You've got to leave. It doesn't matter if you've been in this relationship, and it's looked like this. You've been living in unhealthy ways, you and your spouse, in relationship to uh, either sets of your parents or perhaps both. God provides a path and a way out to help us live in his instruction because that is God's best for us because he's explained it to us. He says, leave your, uh, leave your parents' household. So when we do this, it's an awareness of dependence or over-dependence upon our parents. This is physically Number one, there is a physical leaving that goes from there, particularly in the earliest stages of marriage. It's so important when, in your relationship, you're setting expectations of what's expected of one person. What's normal for us in this? Well, you know what it was normal like under mom and dad, and she knows what normal was like under mom and dad. Now you have to establish what is normal for you. It is typically not wise, just practical wisdom here. When you're first entering into a relationship, to have to live with someone else, that's a challenge, isn't it? It's already hard enough to learn how to live in this new marriage relationship, much less navigate, and I'll say juggle, all of the patterns and expectations of 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 another family that's not even you. When we leave there is a physical leaving, a physical separation that comes in. And I'm not going to say there are there are times we've had we've had periods, but this was after my wife and I we established the the union of our home, we established normative patterns. There was a season where my mom actually had to move in for a various numbers of health reasons and, and some other things. My mom moved in with us, but even though that physical separation wasn't able to be there, we had emotionally left. We had already followed God's injunctions for us, and that provides blessing in a relationship. So we leave physically. Important to note also, and this is tied to physically, we leave financially. It's so good. You know, I joked about, oh man, we're gonna have so much more money having two incomes under one roof. Yes, I can't, I can't wait, uh, you know, for all of that. It's so good for couples to struggle together here. If you're married, think of your early marriage How many, and you can raise your hand if you want, you don't have to, but how many of you that are married struggled financially early on in your marriage or at some point in your marriage? Have you ever struggled financially? Yeah. I'll raise my hands for you. No. (laughs) Maybe that's just because I'm in the ministry. I don't know. No. Uh, we We have struggled together. There was a year... Our, our first summer together. I was in Bible school. I guess that probably gives you some context. Very busy with all sorts of things. And we were struggling to meet ends meet. And uh, we did whatever we could for food. Uh, in fact, we lived uh, 14 hours away from her, her family, my wife's family. Uh, but we happened to be able to go. They helped provide for us to go out and visit them. And her mom cleaned out their freezer. And cleaning out her freezer, apparently she had a thing for pork chops, and uh, she wanted rid of those pork chops. So she sent them our way, and save for some cans of beans, we ate pork chops all summer long. That happened I mean, God, she would look at me and she'd say, "How do you want your pork chops today?" As the poor chops ran out, I got home from work one day, and she was so excited about the meal that she had prepared, and uh, and she was just just she you know was on a platter basically for me, and she had prepared a, a meal of black beans and yellow rice. I grew up in um, near Amish Pennsylvania. Black beans weren't ever a thing. Yellow rice? What'd you do to it to get yellow? I know what yellow snow is. What's yellow rice? <laughs> I didn't even talk about that. You know the first thing I said out of my mouth? What would I say, honey? (laughs) I said, where's the meat? Then I had to go find my wife crying after that. I crushed her spirit because she she was taking of what little means we had, and she had provided all of that, and she made it. I mean, she can make uh, anything taste amazing with her cooking, and she had done that with this meat, and and there I am, stupidly, saying, where's where's the meat at? We can't afford meat. I wouldn't trade that summer for anything, and I don't think she would. Those struggling together, struggling to be ends meet, I mean, we learned more about ourselves. We learned more about God's provision in our life and our need for unending dependence upon him in every facet of our lives. We learned more of that than in any assigned textbook chapter that I had to read in Bible school. God did that in my life, in our life together, because we struggled together. Why? Because we left the security, we left the umbrella of the means of our families, and we went and we struggled together, and we pursued one another in that. Remember, we we're, we were connected as one. This is the whole thing. We're talking, you know, you, you can't consider one of these responsibilities with the other. It's always a, a double-headed coin or, or a, a double-sided coin. As we leave our families, God never just takes something away. You need to leave. No, he says leave so that you are free to be able to cleave to your wife. That's the whole point. And so as we left physically and financially and we struggled together, it bonded us together because as I was loosening myself from the family of my youth and as she was loosening herself, we were running after one another and we were pursuing one another. And what a blessing, what a joy because of God's plan for us. Last way, and there's more, but I want to point out one more important way for us. As we leave our father and our mother, we need to leave emotionally. We need to leave the emotional ties. For certain, the emotional headship and allegiance that was there, yes, we still honor our father and our mother but God has now brought you into a new union where your heart is to be intertwined with a new one. Where do you turn when tension arises with your spouse? In the early stages of marriage, when you have your first fight, disagreement, we don't really fight, but we've had disagreements, we have Moments of tension for certain. Where do you go? What do you want to do? Do you want to run back and talk to your dad and say, you'll never believe what she did? I'm not talking about not seeking out counsel, not seeking out wisdom. I'm not talking about that. But where are you looking because oftentimes when we turn and we run back, you'll never, you'll never guess what she did. It was awful. If I were to say that and if I were to do that, you know who the men are oftentimes going to run to? They ain't going to run to their dad. They're going to run to mom. And if I go running to mom and, and tell her, you'll never guess what that woman did to me. How's that going to work out? Is that going to start painting a picture in mom's heart, in her eyes, about that woman that you're now paired to? It creates, it's problematic at best, but my, our, we cut those ties so that whenever we are in tension with one another, you, we cleave. To one another, First and foremost, when we say, to whom do you turn when tension arises? As we pursue righteousness and we grow in biblical wisdom and we grow in Christ-like maturity, to whom do we turn? I turn to him. This is hard. When I was younger, I wanted a person, and she was my person, but I was mad at my person. So who do I go to now? I'm just going to sit here and stew. And then I sit here and stew, and before long, I implode. My imploding sends shrapnel her way. The shrapnel hurts her. She does the same thing. Mm, on and on and on. And it's the blender of marriage that so many of us face and understand. Now, there's so many tools, so many truths to teach into that scenario that many of us can probably really personally relate to but one thing that we'll point out that is so important when that tension arises we must have first left and when that tension arises even to this day we must follow God's instruction purposefully leave emotionally any relationship but specifically the parental relationship as it existed with us So God takes away, he says, you are to leave, loose and depart from your parental authority that was there. And what are you doing as you enter into this new relationship? He tells us that we are to cleave to one another. So the second responsibility that the couple has in marriage includes cleaving to one another. And we see that here at the end of verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, but to do what? To be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Various translations render this differently. The King James says cleave. That's that's where we're pulling this idea from. Leave and cleave together. And cleave is not a word uh, that modern-wise uh, currently, we use much. If if I have, if I have any use for the word cleave, it's with an object, and it's a cleaver, right? What's a cleaver? A meat cleaver, do? You can do some damage with a cleaver. You can cut something apart with a cleaver. Is that what we're talking about? Is that what God says? Leave and cleave? Nope. That is not at all what God is talking about. Biblical cleaving is defined as clinging to make inroads into something, to pursue after, to chase after it, to be joined together and to keep fast together. For this, we use the picture of post-it notes. You ever use post-it notes before? My kids just got some for their birthday this week, and they were delighted with it. I have seen post-it notes on every surface of my house since. I taught class Wednesday night, and I had a little letter waiting for me. Dad, follow the arrows and follow all of the clues. And it was, I laughed so much and it just brightened by night after getting out of class and I'm looking at this and there were probably 25 pieces of paper with little clues and as I'm going along, you got this, good job. It was so cool, love it. But those post-it notes, are those still on my wall? No. They're, they're so easy, you go, and a post-it note just comes right off the wall, Right? See, we don't want post-it note marriages. Post-it note marriage, that, that adhesive, that's so, it's so gentle, it's actually meant to be able to be pulled apart. But when God says to cleave to one another, he's talking about putting some spiritual super glue between a man and a woman. When we have marriage, we have husbands coming together and we have wives coming together. All right, And he says that he's going to bring them two together. And what's he going to do? He's going to join them as one. Correct? And God, through the bond of marriage, and yes, we have to point out that there is a physical component, an idea that is brought about through the physical union of a husband and wife together as one. That is by God's design. That is why it is sacred and is set apart and special according to God's word because it is going to provide a super glue among two people. That's why the physical intimacy is reserved for marriage because of the super glue, the attachment that it provides for us. But beyond that, God says, cleave to one another, be joined fast and when the Lord is the third member, the third strand of a threefold cord in that, he does apply his spiritual superglue, And we want to be held fast together so that you just look at this, and man, this is nothing more than one piece of paper, not meant to be separated. When you do separate it, pieces of the pink are now on the blue. Pieces of the blue are now on the pink, and and there's holes in us, and it hurts. Now, God can and does, and he will fill in those holes. He can restore, he can reconcile, but God, but it does damage, and it hurts. Anybody that has suffered a separation from somebody, you know the pieces, you know the pain, you know the hurt that is left between that. Even when you retain in the relationship and there's struggle and there's clash and there's things trying to pull us apart. It hurts. It's painful. But God's biblical injunction to us is to pursue, to run after one another, to cleave. I like that idea of making inroads into something. I'm making inroads into you kind of like I'm setting a nail into you so that I don't fall out. And as I'm setting my nail into you, my spikes into you, you know what you're doing? You're cleaving me, and you're putting your spikes in me. So we're attached more and more, and that is God's plan. That is God's design for us. Henry Smith, he was a Puritan preacher of the late 1500s. He once stated, First, a man must choose his love then he must love his choice. And there is simple wisdom in that, that as God brings us together in this unity, we're actively, we never get done following these biblical commands. We leave our parents, we leave physically, financially, emotionally, but we pursue after, we never stop pursuing after our spouse we follow after we cleave them let's pray father I just thank you for the opportunity to look at your plans father if it weren't for your word we'd be lost if i if i were looking at a picture of the world if i knew what marriage looked like according to what i knew growing up or what i saw on tv father i'd be lost i'd be suffering i'd be hurting Father, thank you for speaking to these very practical, these very fundamental foundational relationships. Father, I want to pray specifically for the marriages of our church. Father, I pray that those that are married would continue to um, honor you and, and leave in those areas that perhaps we haven't left. And Father, for those areas that we have, continue to live in obedience and honoring you in these things. And Father, for those of us that are married, Father, the command to never stop cleaving. It just never leaves, Father. It doesn't matter how long we've been married. We always have the overarching umbrella instruction and command to cleave to our spouse. So Father, just an instruction that simple. Help me be faithful to that. Help me live this out of my life. Father, I pray for those um, in our congregation to do the same. Father, I do want to take a moment and I want to pray for our our church family members and those perhaps listening online. Father, that aren't in a marriage relationship, perhaps they're preparing for one or that's someday years ahead. Father, maybe they've been in one and no longer are in one. Father, we look to you, the theme that we keep tracing throughout all of this. Lord, is that our dependence points to you always. Help our needs be met in you Father, where there's pain, where there's, there's wounding, Father, even those of us in marriage, might we turn our hearts to you. Might we depend more upon you. And might you be formed more in us. And might you be glorified in greater ways in our lives, Father. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.